Okay, so tonight, um, as you can see, we're entering into a new area, uh, which we don't have a graphic yet, uh, because we're not going to spend a lot of time in this area. So this is probably going to be a one-hitter, maybe two, but we may just do one time this Sunday, I mean this Wednesday on this topic. Um, I asked you earlier uh, to, you know, things that you want to study, and um, one of the, there's two of them that we're really going to get in. Uh, probably the next one that we're going to do is probably the Holy Spirit. Um, that's the way I'm leaning right now. But for tonight, one of the things that I want to cover, because um, the deeper that we get into the Word of God, there's some things that we need to understand as a congregation. Now, some of y'all, this is old hat, you know, but some of you need a refresher on this. But what we're going to talk about tonight is a topic called dispensations, okay, dispensations. If you don't understand dispensations, you're not going to understand the Word of God. It's just plain all there is to it. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't know anything. It just means that you're going to misapply things. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this uh, tonight and why it's important, but um, the reason that it's important to bring this out. Now, look, this is a little bit meaty. Um, you know, Paul says, you know, carnal Christians, they can't handle some of the deeper things, right? And Wednesday nights, you guys are people that hunger for more of God, and you're willing to dig a little bit. You, you give me a little bit more time to dig a little bit deeper than maybe a Sunday crowd, and it's because of your desire. And so this Wednesday night, we're going to dig a little bit deeper, but what this will do is this will help unfold the Bible for you. This will help unfold the Bible. So you'll understand where things are and how they apply just a little bit clearer. Um, if you just start in Genesis, um, that's great. Genesis is always good, but once you understand how to view Genesis, it will help you understand everything else. So uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, at the end of the service, we'll make a general prayer over our prayer request. If you didn't get an opportunity to put one on, you can put one on at the end. And it's the first Bible study for 2019. So I was praying about it because I, I, I really I have about five different ones kind of ready, you know, in, in the hole, ready to fire. Um, and uh, I was just praying about it, and I just felt like, you know, to start out 2019, um, that this would be a good foundational piece so that as we get deeper in the Word of God, it'll help you view those things with a better, it's like looking at it with glasses. You can see clearer, okay? All right, so any questions? All right, let's pray, and then we're going to get going then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to open up the Word of God. Father, we thank you for the Word of God right here, right now, God. We thank you that we are alive in this moment. And Father, we just pray that you would have your way in this service. I ask for your anointing to preach and to teach this Word as you desire, God. And Lord, we ask for the anointing, Father, to hear and to receive what you have for us. And, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' holy name. And everybody says, amen. amen. You know, whenever you're talking about dispensations, um, there's, there is three different views, okay? Some people ignore it, some people understand it, and some people overuse it. So there's, there's two ditch, there's ditches on both sides of the road, and then there's some solid ground in the middle. And it's that way with every single Bible topic. Okay, 
You can run on both sides of the ditch, okay? But where God wants us to be is exactly what the Bible says. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. And, um, and as we get into dispensations, um, let, me, let me just uh, start out by saying this. You know, the reason that dispensations are important to understand is because when you, when you fail to understand them, uh, what you'll do is you will think that there are passages in the Bible uh, that apply to you or that God works like that, and it's not that way. For example, there's a story about a guy in, um, in, in California. I think his last name was Campona. Um, but anyways, he was a, a minister. He was, you know, a preacher and, and all this stuff, and an atheist came up to him and said, well, how can you serve a God that had, you know, Israel go through villages and kill everybody, you know? And it messed with him to the point where he walked away from the faith. He, he turned his back on God because he couldn't understand it. Well, understanding dispensations will help you understand this um, because he was, he was thinking that God still operated in that exact same way today, and he, does, he didn't see it, so it made him turn his back on God. So, the reason I'm bringing that out is because I'm, I want to show you that it, it go. This is a very important topic because if you if you don't understand dispensations, somebody can twist the word of God on you. Okay, other people, um, you know, can take the word of God and 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 twist it and put you under a a different dispensation. For example, um, we talk a lot about Hebrew roots, or we have in the past. Um, but somebody can, or, you know, maybe even a Seventh-day Adventist, you can take a portion of the Bible out of its place and apply it where it doesn't belong and get people really mixed up on stuff. And so dispensations will help you understand this. So um, let's go ahead and dig in a little bit. Uh, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15. This is Paul uh, talking to Timothy. Now, Paul was the apostle to who? The Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That's right. Who's the Gentiles? All right. So in verse number 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So one of the things that I want to point out, a couple of things really that I want to point out out of this verse before we dig into the dispensations aspect of it. Uh, number one is there's a call for you to study the word of God. This is not regarding just a, 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 a happenstance, overglance look of the word of God. Now, as I say that, there's two things that you need to know about the Word of God. Number one, you should read the Bible devotionally, but you should also read it in a way that you study it. You can't, you're, you're going to miss something. If you only study, you're going to miss the I love Jesus part. But if you only get the devotional reading, you're not going to dig deeper and get the study part and get legs under your feet. Are you with me? So it, it's, it's, it's very important to understand both concepts and why they're important because they both play a role in our lives. And it's, it's, it's kind of our own ignorance um, whenever we think that we can just read the Bible devotionally and believe that we're going to understand the Bible in the same way other people do that read it in a way that studies it. 
Okay, so number one, look at this. This is a call to study the word of God. This is not just, um, well, let's just read this chapter, one chapter a day, one chapter a day, one chapter a day, one chapter a day. That's not studying. That's devotional reading. I want to make myself clear. You should do both. You should do that, but you should also pick that apart. The way that you study the Bible is you look for key words in the passage. Who's, the, who's it written to? What key word is it? then study that word. Find other places in the Bible where that word is and look for those things. That's how you study the word of God. Um, and it's important for you to do that because God can reveal things to me and I can give it to you. But when you study it and God gives it to you, that's your revelation from God to you. And you'll never, you'll never ever, ever lose it. Because when God reveals something specifically to your heart, it's special. It's intimate. It's you and God, okay? And those things, those, uh, you know, I hate that word, but those nuggets, those nuggets, those are personal from God to you. And, and it's only a reward for those that will diligently seek him, those that will study the word of God and take time, amen? Was one of my pastors, he convicts me, or, you know, he said he's going he reads the Bible um, four times a year. Reads the whole thing four times a year, okay? Every 90 days, he's through it, right? But you know what? That's not in his sermon preparation. That's just his, I love Jesus time. I'm just devoted to you, Lord. I love you. I want more of your word, Lord. But his sermon preparation is a totally different department. How amazing is that? Right? Well, see, that's the difference between study and devotional. Study and devotional. So, number one, I want you to see that there's a call to study. That is, th that you're going to have to dig deeper than you've ever gone. You, you want to know more about God? You're going to have to dig deeper than you've ever gone. Uh, um, look, let me just say this, and, and, and I got to let it go. Um, you have as much, this is from Leonard Ravenhill, you have as much God right now as you want. If you want more God, you'll seek him more. And if you don't, you won't. And each of us seek God at different levels with different passions. You have as much God and you know about as much God as you want to. If you want to know him more, he'll reveal himself more. But if you're content being on the outer fringes, he'll let you sit there, won't he? How many of y'all have been on the outer fringes? Yeah, I know. And, and there's a deeper place God wants to take all of us. But we are where we want to be. And that's why it's important to say, God, change me. Change me, God. Lord, change me. This is one of my favorite songs that uh, I think is Natalie Grant. She sings, break me, God. Break me, God. Because it's in the breaking that you find God. It's in the breaking that you lean on him. When you hold it all together, you know, and you're comfortable with life and everything is as it should be, everything's in order, this is what I do, this is That's when we need to get broken. Okay, so study to show yourself approved unto God, not unto man, not unto man, not unto man. Study to show yourself approved unto God. This is between you and God. You don't have to go around telling everybody, I study the Bible for three hours today. God knows, and it's God that you should be studying. 
Okay, study to show yourself approved unto God. Here we go. A workman. A workman. So does it take work to study? You, you, can't, you can't give up. You can't give up. You can't say, I just don't understand. I just Work at it. Work at it. Do what you can. Do what you can. You know, whenever you, whenever you uh, put a puzzle together, you don't start in the middle, do you? You got to start on the outer edges because we're all, you know, not the sharpest tool in the toolbox. We got to start with those easy parts on the outer edges and work our way into it, right? Work your way to deeper waters. You want to know God more? You're going to have to be a workman. Get on your hard hat, sharpen your pencil, get some coffee if you need to, and study, okay? Ask God, who's this written to? Who's it written about? What are the key words in the passage? Try to find other places in the Bible where those words are. Amen? Study the Word of God. God will reveal amazing things to you. Okay, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. The Word of Truth is the Bible, right? The, the Word of Truth, rightly dividing. So what does God mean by rightly dividing the Word of Truth? Well, um, you're not going to get a... Uh, uh, a Thomas Jefferson Bible, you know, you're not, we're not telling you to cut stuff out, but by rightly dividing the Bible means that you're assigning different portions into different places, okay? Um, now, this is where we're going to get a little bit choppy waters. So, um, if you've never understood a lot about dispensations, uh, this, this is uh, where I, I, I want you to really pay attention. I'm going to read you a... Uh, a quote from J.C. Ryle, uh, and before I do that, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter number 3, Ephesians chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1. Now, I'm going to read you this quote from J.C. Ryle regarding dispensations. Now, um, this is what he says. If you don't know, he was a minister of the gospel in the 1800s, one of my favorites. If you follow me on Facebook, I quote him about maybe once a month. Um, this is what he said. The Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament saints' lives as well. The Holy Spirit existed before Pentecost, right? Okay. The Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament saints' lives as well, but more full and more revealed and more poured out in the New Testament. The difference between the dispensations is only one of degree. So the Holy Spirit was in operation in the Old Testament, but in a greater degree in the New Testament. Do you agree with that? That's what he's saying. Here's what I want you to, this is, my, this is how Brother Kenny breaks it down. I said, dispensations are only a greater degree of revelation. Dispensations are a greater degree of revelation. So, you know what revelation is, right? Exactly. And dispensations are a greater degree of revelation. You understand something a little bit more. Do you think, do you think that whenever Adam and Eve were standing there in the Garden of Eden and they were getting judged with the serpent, and, and God told the serpent that, uh, God told the woman that her seed would bruise the serpent's head. Do you believe she knew that Jesus would die on a cross in that moment? 
on a wooden cross by Roman soldiers, right? That he was God in the flesh. And he, no, she just knew what God said. She didn't know the exact details. She knew in general terms, but she didn't have the greater revelation of, those, of Mary who saw it with her own eyes, right? Okay, that's what he's talking about. That's, that's how you want to see dispensations. Look at verse number 1, Ephesians 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles... He's the apostle of the Gentiles, right? If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Listen to this which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. I'm going to stop right there. What is, all, what is all of that? Let's kind of summarize that and, 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 and dig a little bit further. Well, number one, dispensation is in the Bible, okay? So it's not just a word that's made up. Dispensation is in the Bible, first off. And he's telling you that God gave him a dispensation, and he called it the dispensation of the grace of God. And the way that he described that dispensation of the grace of God is in two terms. Number one is that it, it was uh, Gentiles. Number one, it was in Gentiles that were being brought into the fold of God, basically. And secondly, it was a mystery not revealed in the past. So there was something that Paul received that he called a dispensation and he called it a dispensation of God's grace. And he said it was never revealed to anybody up until that time. And not only was it never revealed to anybody up until that time, but here's what that mystery is. That the Gentiles were going to be part of the family of God. Up until that time, that, that was completely absurd to people's thinking. Okay? Up until that time, it was completely absurd to that, to, to that kind of thinking. So... And, 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 and bear with me because we're building a base and things are going to start clicking in just a second. Um, now, here's the part that I want to, um, we're, we're going to leave that right there. Let me, let me define dispensation for you. The Greek word, which I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar, I have, to go to, I have to go to the things that tells me what the Greek word is and look it up and dig, all that kind of stuff. It's... Uh, Oikonomia, oikonomia, it's where we get the English word economy, economy, economy. So what does this mean? Well, the definition for oikonomia is management of a household, management of a household. Second definition, administration of affairs, 
So the word dispensation is, the actual definition is how somebody manages a house. Now, you know, you probably wash clothes on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Somebody else probably washes clothes on Saturdays. And, you know, like when I was in college, I brought my clothes home once a month to mom. Everybody managed their, their home differently, right? Everybody does it in their own oikonomia or their own economy. It's like the economies of the world. Here in the United States, we have the dollar bill. This is how our economy works. If you go to Mexico, there's pesos. Now, now it's a little bit different, but there was a time when you had to get all your money exchanged at the border, right? So if you wanted to go into that economy, you had to change to a different way of doing business. Okay? It's a great way to understand dispensations. Um, how many of y'all have ever put a quarter in a machine to get a gumball? Do you know what we call it when you open the door and it drops the ball in your hand? I know you're not from Texas. I just say it drops in my hands. It dispenses. It dispenses. That's what a dispensation, a dispensation basically, layman's terms is how God works in a given time period. How God, if you look at it through the definition, it's how God worked in this household, how God worked in this household, how God worked in this household, or the economy of a certain time period. You know, God worked differently in this time than he did in this time. God didn't change, but how he dispensed himself did. Do you know that you know God in a way right now that Abraham didn't? Do you know Old Testament saints could only, the Holy Spirit could come on them? But do you know we can have the Holy Spirit in us? Right? So we know God, we can know his presence, we can know his power, his spirit in ways that they didn't know. So the way that the Holy Spirit is bubblegum machine, right? Put the quarter in, it's time change. So the way the Holy Spirit is given to the people today is different than in Abraham's day. Okay? That's, that is the gist of dispensations. And what it'll do is it'll start unlocking the Bible. Now, I'm going to share with you a few things um, out of this. Generally, generally, the dispensations are broken down into seven groups. Seven groups. Uh, I didn't come up with the number. You're not going to find that number. You're not going to find seven dispensations in the Bible. But I'm going to show you that there are seven different places and ways that God operated in the Bible. So you can kind of put that together. Now, here's what's important to know about it. I, you know, I look at the cross as, as the big change, okay? But there are other changes as we progress through the Word of God as well. It's worth noting. It's worth noting. But the big one is the cross, okay? If, if, if you wanted to say, I only believe in two dispensations, before cross and after cross, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. But if you want to break it down and get kind of and dig deeper and get a little bit more, you know, fine and minute, let's do it, okay? So let's, uh, and if you get like a Schofield Bible or a Thompson Chain Bible or anything like that, you're going to see this kind of thing in there. Um, uh, what, what was the guy? Um, not Ryle. 
Um, I'm trying to think of the guys. There's another study. Uh, there's a few study Bibles out there that are going to be very good in the dispensational realm. Um, but, but like I said earlier, there's two different ditches. There's the ditch of denial, and then there's the hyper ditch. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain to you the problems on both of those. But first, let's get through these seven dispensations. Um, number, I'm I'm gonna list them to you, and then I'm gonna explain them to you. Okay, so the seven dispensations, innocence. Now I didn't come up with this. This is out of you know most general um, you know places. Innocence. Conscience, government, promise, law, church, kingdom. Once again, innocence, conscience, government, promise, law, church, kingdom. Now let's break those down a little bit. Those are the seven main dispensations that most Christianity um, affirms. Before we get into, well, let's just keep on going. Um, innocence, okay? This is the time of the Garden of Eden, okay? The way that God operated with Adam is different than the way that God operates with you. Did God tell you not to eat a tree? Right? Okay. Um, innocence, and it runs from Genesis 1 through Genesis 3, basically. That's where the fall happened, Genesis 3. So one of the things that you'll see as in the reason why people believe that there's seven dispensations is because there's a cataclysmic event that changes things into a different dispensation. Every time the dispensation changes, it's a, it's a, it's a cataclysmic event, okay? Cataclysmic event. So the, the, the change from the Garden of Eden to the conscience area was the fall. The curse, when they ate of the tree, and, th and then they had the knowledge of sin, right? They knew that they were naked, okay? This is when their conscience was awakened. Their conscience was awakened. So Genesis 3, 7, there's a shift. So the curse coming down on, on the earth and on mankind is the shift into the second dispensation. So you had innocence, now you have conscience, Conscience is a time from Genesis 3 till Genesis 6. Now, conscience is the time whenever you had Seth. You had Seth out there who was Adam's, right, third son. Um, here's some other people. You have Enoch, Methuselah, this time period. Enoch walked with God and then was not. Well, what did he do right? Was he a worship leader? Did he study? What did he do? He walked with God. That's all we know. By his conscience, he obeyed God. Okay, that's all we know. He walked with God, and then he was taken out, he w which is a picture of what? Okay, we'll get there. Okay, um, so that's, that, that's the second one. Now, how, do you, how many of y'all remember what was the next cataclysmic event that happened that might have changed it to, an, to another dispensation? The flood. The flood. So what happened is God let man walk by their conscience and obeying just like Enoch. But what happened to man? They didn't obey God. They became wicked in his sight. And God hated it. And so God sent the flood. 
So the, the flood was the second cataclysmic event, ending the second dispensation, beginning the next one. After the flood, you had Noah. And after Noah, you had Abraham. And Abraham, uh, well, I'm sorry, back that up. You had Noah there. You had Noah. I'm getting ahead of myself. One of the charges that was given to Noah was to, to replenish the earth and to multiply. Replenish the earth and to multiply. So the third dispensation is a dispensation of government, and here's what he means. Replenish and multiply. This was a time period when human government was given a chance. And the next phase in this dispensation was when mankind, instead of dispersing and scattering and replenishing the earth, they all centralized they all centralized, right, in the Shinar Peninsula and, and started building the Tower of Babel, which, which from that point right there is where all kinds of wickedness begins. After the flood, the Shinar Peninsula, Tower of Babel, that's where you get things like Nimrod and all these false gods and all this kind of stuff comes from right there at the Shinar Peninsula. Um, a lot of people believe a lot of stuff started right there. Anyways, God didn't like it, and you remember what God did? He confused the languages, okay? So that was the next part. Up until that time, everybody spoke the same language. Can you imagine? Up until that time, everybody spoke the same language. So this was a huge cataclysmic event. Um, Tower of Babel. Now, the next one after Babel was Abraham. 9 through 11. Genesis 9 through 11. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're introduced to Abraham. Abraham represents promise. The promise was to dwell in Canaan. If you remember, God called Abraham, uh, actually, God called his father out of Ur. Um, his father passed away. But, and then Abraham, Abraham was extended the call, go to the land of Canaan. And Abraham went, not knowing where to go. But God told him he was going to dwell there. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 6, that's where the promise was made. And one of the things that you need to learn about the Bible is um, the promise that God made to Abraham is still relevant today. We're, we're children of Abraham, okay? So, so Abraham, you know, is one of the most important people in the Bible. Um, and the promise that God made to him is very important. Dwell in Canaan. God said, you're going to dwell in Canaan. Well, how many of y'all know whenever the drought came, Israel ran to where? Egypt. And once they were in Egypt, instead of depending on God, they depended on man, God allowed them to be taken into bondage, which you can get a spiritual aspect out of that, right? God allowed them to be taken into bondage. So the promise portion of the Bible, it's basically from Genesis 12 to Exodus 19, um, is when Israel dwelled in Canaan and then moved to Egypt, okay? Moved into Egypt and became bondage to Egypt. Um, now, the next one is the law. So this is the fifth dispensation, the law. The, the bondage that Israel was placed in in Egypt was cataclysmic, and from that you get the Torah, the law, 
And before God allowed them to leave, God instituted the, the seven feasts, the Passover, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God broke everything down to Moses. And, and you had the, um, the, the, the sea parting, the miracles in the desert, the manna. All those things happened in this time period. So the, the release from Egypt was very cataclysmic. And then God giving the law to Israel was very cataclysmic. So this fifth dispensation is law. Now, here's the deal. I wanted you to think. The people under the law dispensation were treated differently than the people under the conscience dispensation. Nobody was stoned for not observing the Sabbath up until the law. Up, up until Moses was given the law. Amen? So God, the way that God dispensed himself to these people in this time was different than the way that God dispensed himself to these people in this time. Now, here's why that's important. Here's why that's important. Because one of the promises that God may make to someone like Noah, you've got to understand where that is. And if you're not in that dispensation, you better tread lightly before you claim that promise. Amen? You better have biblical backing revealed to you in the New Testament before you claim that promise. Okay? That's why it's important because you don't want to misapply Scripture. You don't want to misapply Scripture. Um, this, is, this is how Bible verses get taken out of context and people get led astray is when they take Scripture out of context. So the law um, is, it basically runs from Exodus 19 all the way to Acts chapter number 2, which is Pentecost. That's when the church really got kicked off. But you could, I would, if it was me, I would say it's up to the cross, you know, up to the cross, up to like John 19 or chapter 20. Um, so that's what I would say, but most people say up to Acts 2, but either way, that's the transition, when the church began, okay? So, the law was up until that time. Now, we're in, as Paul said, I showed you there in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7, Paul said that we're in a dispensation of what? God's grace, God's grace. That's where we say that we're in the church age or the age of grace. If you've ever heard those terms, that's where it comes from. We're in the age of grace. We're in a time period. We didn't make that up. That's what Paul said right there. I showed you a dispensation of the, the time of God's grace. So this is an age of grace. We live in a time period where we're not judged based off of innocence, conscience, government, promise, or law but we're the church in the church age or the age of grace. So we've got to understand where we are now. There's a cataclysmic event that is going to end the church age. And after the end of the church age is going to enter into first tribulation, but then millennial reign of Christ. So the church age will end with the cataclysmic event of Rapture and return of Christ. And when the rapture and the return of Christ happen, then the millennial reign, which is the seventh dispensation, uh, will occur. 
So let's unpack this just a little bit further. Um, let me just show you a couple of things, and, and then we're, we're going to get going in this. Um, turn to John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. I want to show you something here. When, when I say, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those that it's, you know, the cross. When you say the word the cross, you're not talking about a piece of wood. You're talking about what Jesus did on it, right? So when we say, you know, the old rugged cross, we're not talking about, we're not tr trying to find a piece of wood. We're believing on what Jesus did. Are you with me? So here's why this is important. Because when you think about what Jesus did, that when Jesus said it's finished, when Jesus said it's finished, the work necessary was finished. But do you know, do you know he had to, there was still something else he had to do? There was still something else he had to do. Most scholars believe that there's a, an altar in heaven because what God gave to Moses, it says, is a uh, floor plan of what is in heaven, okay? Um, and here, let me show you something, because most people say that Jesus had to put his blood on the altar in heaven, had to put his blood on the altar in heaven. But let me show you something. In John chapter number 20, because there's a transition you may or may not have noticed. You've probably read past it. You may or may not have noticed this. Look in verse number um, Look at verse number 16, John 20, verse 16. Now, this is whenever Jesus had risen from the dead, so the sacrifice had been done, right? But he probably had to tie up some loose ends, led captivity captive. Come on. Okay. Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So what is he, what, what's going on right there? Jesus is in a position where he's been, his, the sacrifice has been made complete, and he's not allowing her to touch him. Which... Amen, which that's pretty, if you know how merciful and graceful Jesus is, it's, he's basically saying, look, I'm carrying something that you can't touch. Don't touch me, which is amazing. Same chapter, keep going. Same chapter, keep going down to verse number um, 26. Same chapter, verse 26. After and after eight days, everybody say eight days. So even though we're in the same chapter, we're just a few days later, something has changed. Watch this. After eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst, said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Now, and you know the rest of the story. 
So in the same chapter, Jesus had done something on the cross and finished something and had to carry something and ascend to his father. And it was so important that Mary couldn't touch him, right? So important she couldn't touch him. But then just a few verses later, eight days later, he allows Thomas to stick his hand all the way in his side, right? So he carries, and I believe, this is my, this is Pastor Kenny. <laughs> um, you read a Schofield or anybody, they're going to say Acts 2 is where the next dispensation. My view is that eight days, when that eight days was completed is when the church age started. That's, that's where things changed because that's when the sacrifice had been laid at the altar of God, right? Sacrifice was done on the cross, but for whatever reason, he had to go and present himself in heaven. Maybe he had just had to go and, and declare himself victor. Maybe he, just had to, maybe he just had to go up there and say, look, I did it. You know, there's a lot of different views. And, and when you get into Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, you'll see some of those things unfold. But some of those things we just don't know. Yes. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great um, insight. I've heard that one before too. And I kind of, you know, why else would there need to be blood in heaven? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And God's not going to require things on earth that he doesn't require in heaven. I've always said, you know, God's not going to ask you to do something. He's not going to do himself, right? Think about covenant. If, once you understand covenant, how, you know, we're, we're in covenant with God. And think about how God came into covenant with Abraham. It, the, when you understand, you know, what a blood covenant is, you do it, I do. What you, what if, whatever belongs, you know, whenever somebody comes against you, they're coming against me. That, it's, it's us together now. Well, if Satan sinned in heaven, and he did, because Jesus said when he sinned, I saw him fall as lightning, then I think that that's probably right. Maybe that there was something in heaven that had to be purified and by the blood. So, which is good thought. Um, how many of y'all? How many of y'all have seen that before, or how many of y'all have read past it? You've read past it, okay? How many of y'all noticed it when you read past it? You noticed it that there's a difference there. There's a difference there, and what is that? Well, this is this is the beginning of a dispensation. This is how Jesus is operating differently now. These, whatever happened in those eight days. Something changed, and now, now you can come boldly to the throne of grace through his body, just like Thomas put his hand in his body. Now you can come boldly through his body to that throne of grace, and, and so there was that shift that took place, but whatever had to happen in heaven had to happen, amen? So um, very important to, to, to understand that. Um, let me show you something else. Uh, Acts 2 to Revelation 20. Acts 2 to Revelation 20. Um, Revelation 20, really? Um, Revelation 20 verse 4 is where the kingdom really starts. I'll, I'll read that one to you. Um, Revelation 20 verse 4. Um, 
I saw thrones, they that sat on them. Judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their forehead or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then you get into the thousand-year reign, and then you get into Satan being loosed for a time. But that thousand years is what we call, that's in, in um, we call it a millennium. Every thousand years is a millennium. Well, in theology, we call this the millennial reign of Christ. That's when Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. That's the transition, uh, Revelation 20, verse 4. So from that point forward, we're entered into that time that the uh, wolf will lie down with the lamb, okay? We're entered into that time when we'll go back into a place where animals don't kill each other. We'll go back into a time uh, of that kind of an era. So it's in, you can see that, in, you know, glimpses of it in Ezekiel and in Isaiah and different passages in there, which the millennial reign is a whole nother enchilada, but Gen, uh, Revelation 20 verse 4 is where it kicks off. That's where it kicks off. Um, everything up until that is either church age or seven-year tribulation time period. Revelation 20 verse 4 is where you kick off the thousand years. So, you know, it's um, it, it's pretty exciting to know that we're that close to the millennial reign. We could be seven years in one day or seven years in a month or 20 years away, but that we're getting closer to it. Amen? Getting closer to it. Um, let me show you a couple of different passages in... in, in um, in, in dealing with this, let's go to Colossians chapter number 1, verse 25. So Colossians chapter number 1, verse 25. Now, here you see uh, the same kind of thought. And, and what you'll see is from a, a maybe a, a different verbiage, a different angle, but Paul is carrying the same thought here in this passage. I started and showed you in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, uh, the, the dispensation of the grace of God, this mystery, which is key, mystery. It was a mystery. Understand that, do you know how many people are mad because we don't have to work to get close to God? You know how many people are mad about that? Every religious spirit's mad about it. Um, let me put some thoughts in your head. Um, I, we just basically said, right, that the law existed from the time of Moses, Exodus, we'll say 19, 20, from that time all the way to, I say, John 19, some say Acts 2, some say when Jesus said it's finished, but in that, that time, right, when the blood was shed, okay, that time. Think about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most everything recorded in there was recorded under the Torah. Sermon on the Mount was given to people that lived under the Torah. Um, when Whatever Jesus did, 
You know, whenever they accused him of, of things, they couldn't find anything that he actually did wrong according to the Torah. Maybe the oral law, they could find something wrong, but not according to the Torah. Not according to the Torah. He was not, uh, he was not a lawbreaker. Um, but under the Torah, you have things like tithe, Sabbath keeping, pork abstaining, and 610 others. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I always say that the New Testament didn't start in Matthew 1, 1. The New Testament started at the cross. Okay. New Testament didn't start in Matthew 1, 1. So whenever you're, whenever somebody is ill-informed, they're going to tell you, well, this is how Jesus lived. And you say you follow Jesus. So shouldn't you do what he did? Well, you know what? He lived under the Torah. He lived under a different dispensation, and his blood brought us into the church age. His blood. I showed you that difference in John 19. Think about this. How many of y'all remember uh, whenever a woman came to Jesus and her daughter needed to be healed, and he told her no? You remember when he told her no? Not the dogs. He called her a dog. And she said, Master, even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the table. And he said, right? He says she's going to be made whole. But think about that. There was a, a person who was not a child of Israel who came to Jesus. Open arms, Jesus. And he told her, no, you're a dog. You know why? She was a Gentile. Gentiles weren't brought into the fold yet until his blood was shed. They're what legally, right? And spiritually, he came to do what? Seeking to save that which was lost, right? But you know what he's talking about? He's, you know what he's talking about? What, what, what did, well, we'll see this in a minute. Galatians and Colossians teaches that the Torah was nailed to the cross. The law, the transgressions of the law was nailed to the cross. That which was written against you, ordinances, all that, nailed to the cross, okay? This is why it's important to understand that that difference happened at the cross. It wasn't Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. When Jesus said at the Last Supper, uh, and we do this every time we take the Lord's Supper. He said, this is the, the cup. This is the New Testament in my blood. This is the New Testament in my blood. Okay? And so when his blood was shed was on the cross. So he's saying, he is saying, his blood would bring in a New Testament. Not when he was born, when he died. Not when he was born, when he died. And if people are ill-informed and ignorant of that, they're going to get so mixed up. That's why people get so mixed up on, you got to observe the seventh-day Sabbath, you got to do this, you can't do that, because they don't understand that it was the New Testament in my blood, and his blood wasn't shed yet when he said that. His blood was shed on the cross. He was, that was just a, a few hours before that. And that is what changed everything for us. That's what changed everything. And, and up until that time, 
If, you know, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you, you could make a case, right? Well, if you want to be like Jesus, you got to do what he did. Well, you know what? He shed his blood to bring in a new covenant, he said. And the new covenant, the details of it are given to the apostles in the word of God. And that's the New Testament. That's what we read. That's the epistles. Um, so that's why it's really important to, to understand these types of things. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. The law was given to Moses, John 1. But, but truth and grace, right, came by Jesus. In, in Galatians chapter 3, I read this at Christmas, you know, it was in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time that Jesus came to redeem them that were under the law. So the, the law that was given to Moses, right, Jesus redeemed us from under it. He redeemed us from under it. So there's a big change that takes place after the cross. Now, now some of y'all are like, so? But I want you to know, people that have been mixed up under this are like, thank the Lord. Because, and, and why this is important is, if you understand it, it's going to help you view the Bible correctly, and it'll keep you from being taken asunder, okay? A uh, couple of things, and we're going to dig into this pa passage um, let me throw this out there. Just, you know, why don't, why don't Pastor Kenny teach tithing? It's the law. It's the law. Well, what about Abraham and Melchizedek? What about that? I'll tell you what it, if you don't know, Abraham tithed. Abraham gave a tithe, right? But he wasn't commanded to. He did it out of love. He did it out of honor. It wasn't a law. If you didn't tithe under the law, you had punished, you were going to get punished. Abraham wasn't under the law. He wasn't going to get punished. He did it to honor Melchizedek. Tithing in the New Testament terms is a way to honor God but it's not law. Same way with Abraham. Abraham was not under law. He was not obliged. He was not forced, but he did it to honor. And Melchizedek is a forerunner or picture of Christ or a Christophany, okay? Most people think it was Jesus, okay? So um, we're under the same thing. What Paul teaches about money is what? Let every man give a, uh, as he's purposed in his heart. And to give with a cheerful heart, right? You know, tithing, you, oh, man, I got, ah, 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 right? Calculate everything, ah, ah, ah. God says, let every, whatever God purposes in your heart. You know what? The Holy Spirit is better at getting you to give what you're supposed to give than somebody's twisting your arm, okay? Holy Spirit is a lot better at it. Because, well, I, I gave this example last Wednesday, actually. Uh, Mr. Laterno started Laterno University over there. God purposed on his heart to give 90%. According to the law, he would have only stopped at 10. But God put on his heart to go further. God could have put on his heart to go 8%. But I'm just showing you tithing. It's not law, but Abraham did it as a way to honor, right? And what I call it is a good rule of thumb. 
I just call tithing a good rule of thumb. Tithe basically means 10%. Now, if you get into the law, it's actually more because there was more to it. It's actually ended up being like 23%. Yeah, it, it actually ends up being about 23%, but that's the first part of it. <laughs> um, tithe means 10%, but it's just a rule of thumb. It's a rule of thumb as a way to honor God. You're not honoring man. You're honoring God. Um, and and the thing about giving, we got into this just a little bit last last week. The thing about giving is the giving of the tithe, right? Or, I mean, I'm sorry, the giving in the New Testament. The giving of the tithe was for the priesthood and for the temple. But the giving under the New Testament is not for that because we're the temple. The giving in the New Testament is for the downtrodden, for the widows, for the orphaned, and for other ministries farther than you. So we take up collections for the hurting in our area and to put into other ministries past our area, okay? That and that alone is the only reason in the New Testament we take up funds. That's it. We don't build, we're not supposed to build big, huge buildings. We're supposed to be the building, okay? Now, we got to meet somewhere. We could meet at your house. We can meet at my house. Or we could all say, let's put in money together and buy a building and meet here, right? Because I know you don't want to clean up, clean up after my kids. <laughs> so there's practical reasons why the church does what it does, but God didn't call us to build buildings. He called us to build a kingdom, okay? Building buildings is one thing, and that's what the church is good at, but building the kingdom is what God wants us to be good at, Okay? And we build the kingdom one soul at a time. One soul at a time. That's how we build the kingdom. So now, now the reason that I told you that about the tithe is because when somebody tells you you're supposed to tithe, now you know, right? Mm, I'm not in that dispensation. Because if you're going to put me under the law to tithe, you're also going to tell me i got to abstain from pork and catfish and shrimp and, and you know, uh, having uh, two different types of uh, cloth together and, and all kinds of stuff. So if you're going to put me under one part of the law, you're going to put me under all of it, or, or I'm in the church age. It's one of the two. It's one of the two. So for some of y'all, that's kind of revelatory because when people manipulate you to give, they're going to manipulate you to give through either that area by guilting you into it, but God never guilted. I, I'm just following the Lord on this. Whenever, um, when, whenever there was an offering made and uh, they laid it at, at uh, Peter's feet, right, and they held back from it, you know that that wasn't forced? They did that willingly. They did that willingly. So in the New Testament, there's no begrudging giving. So if somebody's twisting your arm and guilting you in it, that's not God. That's not God. God says the New Testament mark for giving is to give with a cheerful heart. Whatever God lays on your heart. Amen? Amen. And, and this is the amazing thing about it. When it helps you to see when people are misapplying Scripture. So number one is they're going to guilt you into it. And number two, they're going to lie to you about it. 
2019. Sow a seed of $2,019, and you're going to get a tenfold increase. Hey, that sounds great, but it's not in the Bible. Amen. All right. Uh, Colossians 1, right? Okay, we got to move quick, and then I, uh, I want to ask you a few questions, and we'll close. Colossians 1, verse number 25. Again, as always, don't just take my word for it. Go home, study this. Look in front of it, behind it, all through it. Verse 25, Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, teaching in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ. Now, you, this is the second point of view, right? Uh, you don't want to just take one scripture. You don't want to stand on one scripture. You want to take, uh, let uh, every word be established by two or three witnesses. Um, so this is a, another angle of this dispensation that he's talking about, that it's, um, that it's given by God. It's a mystery, right, given to the Gentiles, and people before this time period didn't know about it, before that didn't know about it. Uh, you can write these two down. Here's two others. Um, 1 Corinthians 9.17 and Ephesians 1.10. 1 Corinthians 9.17 and Ephesians 1.10. Um, Ephesians 1.10, 1 Corinthians 9.17. Those are two other places where you'll find some information about dispensations. Now, um, here's where, let, um, let, me, let me tell you the two, the two sides of the ditch, and I'll tell you why there's two sides of the ditch, okay? And we'll close, unless you got any questions. Here's one side of the ditch. A hyper-dispensationalist we reject. A hyper-dispensationalist says that the only, they, what they'll say is Paul is the apostle to the church, okay, and nobody else. So the only books that the church can use are first Corinthians, or Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. That's it. Just the Pauline epistles. Hebrews through Revelation, you can't use. It's not to you. That's what a hyper-dispensationalist will say. So what is the pitfall in that? Well, in James, you're told that, you know, if, you don't, if, if you're not living right, you can't say you got faith. A hyper-dispensationalist, that's like pouring gasoline on a, on a scratch. They don't like that. Okay? They don't like that part. First John, 
First John, you get your warnings about don't believe every, try every spirit, right, that says they're of God. Don't believe them all. And, and you got all kinds of things in, in First John that are fundamental for those things. But most importantly, right, um, he that's in the light is going to walk in the light. God is not, there's no darkness in God, right? And if somebody says that they walk with God, but they're in the darkness or sinning, they lie and do not the truth. Those kinds of things, a hyper-dispensationalist will hate. Here's another one. Hyper-dispensationalist will hate this. Um, repent in, in Revelation. When Jesus told the church to repent, or what? I'll blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. A hyper-dispensationalist, they, they will reject that scripture. So that's why they basically, their Bible is the Pauline epistles. They reject Acts backwards, and they reject Hebrews forwards, camping right there. So that's an error. That is a fundamental error, okay? Um, now, because, and I'll tell you why they say it. They'll say, that, they'll say that Hebrews through Revelation is for the tribulation saints, okay? Which God didn't say that. They said it. God didn't say that. They said it. That's how you know it's wrong. So I'm telling you, there you can take dispensationalism and you can carry it to an extreme that God never intended. Okay? You can say, oh, that scripture's not for me. La, 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 la. Right? So very important to, as I started out, the Bible said to rightly divide the word of truth. So you've got to know how to rightly divide it. What's the other ditch? The other ditch is... Because if somebody discounts dispensationalist, they're going to point to a hyper-dispensationalist and say, see, that's crazy, okay? The other point of view, if you're going to believe that you're in the church, if you're going to believe that you're saved, the other point of view most commonly is going to be what's called covenant theology, covenant theology. Um, that is where you believe, or another term for it is replacement theology, which is a, a different kind of error. That error says you're now Israel. The people that live in Israel right now, they, they're not supposed to be there. That's your place. They spiritualize everything in the Bible. So every promise that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament, God's given to you, it's, that's called uh, replacement theology or, or uh, covenant theology, which is a different kind of error because we recognize... We recognize that we're Gentiles brought in by the grace of God through Jesus' blood. And we also recognize there's still Israel out there. And Israel is the true branch. And we've been grafted in because of belief. And God's going to graft them in at some point as well. Amen? Because God said all Israel shall be saved. That's what he said. Right? So when they, when they look on him whom they've pierced. Right? They're going to repent. Um, so we recognize that there is a true and literal Israel. Now, spiritually, we are Israel. Spiritually, we are Israel, but not literally. Not literally. There is literally a people group called Israel. We are literally Gentiles by grace, but spiritually, we're both Israel. Anybody that's of the family of God is spiritually Israel, but not literally. Not literally. Literally, there, there are actual um, ethnicity, ethnic people that came out of Abraham. 
That's Israel, okay? Well, out of Abraham and Sarah. Out of Abraham and Sarah. That's literal Israel. Literal Israel were the ones that were being killed by the, by the Germans, okay? And I, I heard a prediction in 2019 that they're going to they're gonna start kicking Jews out of nations this year. The, you know that Satan wasn't able to wipe them all out in World War II? And you know that Satan is at work today? But one of the prophecies I heard for 2019 was that the devil is going to be ramping that up and that anti-Semitic, anti-Semitism is going to rise as we get closer to the Antichrist and they're going to, be start, they're going to start identifying, marking, and throwing out Jews just like they did before Hitler. So um, something to keep in mind. Now, any questions before we... So I showed you this ditch, that ditch, and... Solid kind of road there. Um, well, that is a great question, which you know could probably be a sermon. Um, but um, the Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell. Peter says he went and preached to those spirits that were in hell. That's what Peter says. Um, I'll just quickly summarize my view on it. There's two different views, okay? One view is, which is, I believe, heresy, is that Jesus, when he died, he died as a sinner and had to go suffer in hell and um, was born again in hell and then rose. That heresy comes from word of faith teachers. That heresy comes from word of faith teachers. Um uh, one that I'll, I could name a lot of names, but I'll just tell you one that you can find tapes of him saying it. Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, they've both taught that. That's the word of faith crowd, okay? Uh, I'm not criticizing their other teachings, but that's what they teach about that, that he suffered in hell and was born again in hell, uh, was a sinner, born again as a saint. Um, but we don't believe that he ever stopped being God. We believe that he is God. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he and so when we look at that verse, and it says he descended into hell, or he went and preached to those spirits that were there. If you look in Luke, whenever Jesus is describing hell, you remember the passage whenever Jesus was describing hell in Luke, and he said that there was Lazarus and the rich man. They descended into hell. There was a chasm there. On one side was the burning, and on the other side was Abraham's bosom. But there was a chasm in the middle, but they could see each other. They could see each other. And so what we believe is that he descended, he came to the spirits that were there, okay, like Lazarus, okay? He was, Lazarus was there in Abraham's bosom. He wasn't in heaven yet. He was there, according to, to what Jesus said in Luke. He was there. So when he died... He paved the way for those spirits that were there in Abraham's bosom to go to heaven. Now, the, in what, what, what helps us understand that is in Revelation, when we read, when we read Revelation 20, it said that the uh, people that were martyred in the tribulation, they were gathered around the throne, okay? They were in heaven. 
The people that were martyred, they were in heaven. So Old Testament, which, remember, is pre-cross, okay, all the way up to John 20. Old Testament, everybody that died, their bodies were buried in the ground, but their spirit went to Abraham's bosom or to burning part. But after cross, this is when Jesus led captivity captive. He brought those souls that were in Abraham's bosom to heaven, to heaven. Um, and that's why we say now, like Paul did, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in heaven. That's what Paul said. So there's a, there's a change that took place again. So, um, yeah, the three days that Jesus was where I believe that he was, I believe that he was in Abraham's bosom. And all those people that were on the Abraham's bosom side were righteous because they believed on God. So he was there preaching to those souls that were in, in hell. Now, uh, let me, ref the word hell, it, it's the place where the departed spirits go. There's different Greek and Hebrew words for hell. There's Gehenna and Hades and different, different uh, words. So hell, in this sense, when Jesus is talking about it in this uh, story about Lazarus and the rich man, that hell is just a place where departed spirits go. It's not necessarily saying everybody goes to burn because there was an Abraham's bosom side, which he called paradise, well, which is interesting because he told the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Um, so he goes there to Abraham's bosom for three days. Um, now, some people say he was preaching across the chasm to all those people that rejected him in hell that were burning. Um, I don't know, but he spent three days somewhere, and most, most people say that that's, you know, where he was um, because, because he's, he's like, he told, um, like he told in uh, John chapter 20, he, he said, I haven't ascended yet to the Father. And this is after he rose from the dead. So from the cross to that time period, those three days, he hadn't been in heaven. So he was somewhere. And um, that's what most people say is because there was basically a holding cell because the blood hadn't been applied yet. Yet There was no way for them to go to heaven. The, the way hadn't been made yet. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the way hadn't been made yet. So... Up until the cross, every soul that died, they either went to burn or went to holding cell in Abraham's bosom in a big, huge place called hell or Hades. And, um, and then after the cross, that's when captivity was led captive. So that's the standard viewpoint. Yeah, that, that, is, a, that is a Catholic thing. And, um, and I could see that, you know. But um, like you said, if you look at it, now we're in this dispensation, like Paul said, absent from the body. We're present with the Lord. Um, those, those kinds of things, and you see the difference now. Um, and you see in Revelation that there are souls gathered. There are souls of martyred Christians gathered around the throne. So that you put those things together, it kind of gives you a roadmap of how that happens. So. It's, it's interesting. And here's, here's something even more mind-blowing the further we get in Scripture is that, you know, we think when we die, we go to heaven, that's it. But that's not it. Because in Revelation 19, everybody that's in heaven comes to earth. <laughs> so 
you know, everybody that's in heaven comes back, you might say, I can't wait to get out of this place. Well, you're coming back. <laughs> you're coming back in glory in a new body on a horse, and you're going to help Jesus rule and reign and subdue this earth for a thousand years. And then, and, and then there will be a celestial city that comes down. Amen. And we'll all have a place there. Um, so we're not just going to, like I, I always kid around, I'm like, we're not just going to go play golf on Jupiter, you know, and frolic around. That's not it. There's, I mean, you look at the Bible, there's more to it, more to it. So it's pretty interesting. Did y'all get something out of this tonight? I know, I know it was a little bit deep, but you need to, you need it because it'll help you view things correctly. And, um, it's like with anything in the Bible, you People can misuse it, people can abuse it, um, and people can neglect it. But if you use it correctly, rightly dividing the word of truth, it'll be a blessing to your Bible study. It'll help you understand when somebody tells you, um, well, you know, we tithe. It'll help you understand, well, do y'all follow the other 612? You know, uh, <laughs> if not, why not? That kind of stuff. Um, say, well, God says in, the, in this dispensation, we're supposed to give with a cheerful heart. Now, I'm picking on Tide because we live in 2019 now. I'm picking on Tide because it's so abused. But you could pick any of them, okay? I'm just picking on that one because it, we can all relate to it because everybody has probably seen somebody abuse it. <laughs> so, well, yeah, and you got to look at where it was, you know. And basically, Daniel's fast is potatoes and vegetables, which that's how I eat. If y'all know me, that's, that's how I eat. But about... You know, every couple of three years, I eat a piece of meat just so I'm not weird. Because um, I, 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 don't, I don't eat. I know y'all think I'm weird. But I don't eat the way I eat because of religious reasons. So, um, but yeah, you're right. And, well, there's a lot of different stuff like that, like prayer of Jabez, um, Daniel's fast, all this you got to look at where it is, where it is. Um, one of the, uh, oh, there's a guy, his name is uh, Dr. Randy White. He's really good on dispensations, if you want to look him up. I was reading something he said on there, because um, I always want to give credit when I, you know, borrow. But he said that um, there was somebody that had walked away from God because um, they were, they had read Joshua chapter 1, said, you know, everywhere your foot goes you know God's given it to you right and they they claim that for themselves but you know that's a different dispensation now now that's not to say that you can't that God can't give you an old testament scripture as a promise but to just read it and claim you got to understand where it is who it was given to what time period I'll I'll, I'll tell you why remember Paul and the uh there was a certain area Paul wanted to go preach in, and he was forbidden to go. In one place, it even says that Satan buffeted him, prevented him to go. Now, if he, of all people, as an apostle, could have claimed everywhere my foot goes, right? But there was a place where Satan prevented him from going. So you've got to understand what time period you live in and where you are. And... um um, well, there's so much more I could get on that, but it's getting late. But um, so anyways, dispensations. Amen. 
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word together. Lord, I thank you for those that came out tonight, Father, for their hunger to go deeper in the word of God and to know you more, know you more intimately. And Father, I just pray that you would seal this word in our heart, Father. Lord, we pray that you would bless this word and that you would anoint it, Father, to accomplish what you desire. And Lord, we lift up all these prayer requests tonight, Father, uh, each and every person on this list, Father. We lift them up to you and pray, Father, for healing, for deliverance, for guidance, for help in their hour right now, God. We lift up our, the others of our congregation that couldn't make it tonight. God, we lift them up to you and pray for your blessing to be upon them. And Father, right now, I pray just a special prayer, God, that your peace would be on the home of every person here. Wherever they go, Father, I pray that your peace would be there, that you would lead them and guide them forward in peace and in your blessing. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' holy name. And everybody says, amen, amen. amen.